Welcome to another um, edition of Making Diversity Works. Um, this is a really special one because I've got a really dear friend who I've known for too long um, on the line and for 20 years we've been talking about diversity and he, out of everyone I've known, has the best insights and how to change work culture and how to influence diversity diversity within the um, workplace so welcome Matt Wells. Thank you very much I don't know what to say about that it's a far <laughs> too kind of introduction uh, the 20 years is terrifying. Um, very terrifying. Yeah, so, um, intro into what you what you what you guys do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah so I mean I, I fell into the recruitment space at the beginning of the dot-com boom um, 25 years ago and that gave me an insight into sort of rapidly building teams around new projects and new organisations, which is quite interesting. Um, and actually, ironically, it was quite a diverse workspace at that point. There's people from all over the world coming together in London, which is one of the hubs of that, of, you know, the dot-com boom. Um, but, I, you know, I, I stayed in that space post the dot-com crash, uh, which is when we met each other. And um, I started to work bringing those skills to businesses that haven't hadn't had them before which again was quite interesting because that was a that was an introduction of something that hitherto hadn't existed in the organization it caused all sorts of issues post hire so we launched our business congregation um crikey nearly 12 years ago um this year uh, to, to look at that to look at how you brought digital skills into organizations that didn't have them and what you need to do over and above hiring. So we looked at the relationship between training and recruiting and you know, latterly change management, um, behaviour change, as tools to evolve organisational culture as well as structure and output, um, which, we're, which we're still doing today. Yeah, and you've done that for actually quite a lot of blue chip companies and most probably most of the top agencies in the UK as well. Yeah, our focus initially was with creative services and then their clients. But actually, you know, we've always worked with startups as well. So, but the, the startups we work with tend to be startups that that you know either want or want to have a very strong chance of becoming large corporates quite quickly. They're, they're sort of more typically scale ups than startups. Yeah. Um, and we we're, we're sort of. I suppose now we're probably more consciously focused on scale-ups and you know enterprises, large or you know traditional organisations, and what they can learn from each other. That that tends to be our focus at the moment. Yeah, definitely. What's quite interesting, what you said is sort of obviously back in the day, twenty years ago, when and then when congregation started, there was a lot of diversity around within those companies as well. Because I'm just thinking of my Amazon days, because I, I didn't know you then, but um, yeah. the company you worked for actually did the recruitment for Amazon as well. I, from what, from my yeah, company. God, yeah, we had Amazon, eBay, Google. Yeah, Google, and there were seven people. That was interesting. <laughs> so high square. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but yeah, why? Why was it? I mean, because I'm just remembering Amazon. It was diverse. There were so many different nationalities. There were so many different classes as well, people from different classes, which made a difference. Why has that changed? Why? Because you don't see that anymore, do you? And we're having the same conversation, 
and diversity for for years. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's quite it's quite a complicated answer. Yeah. Um, so, I think new things attract a certain type of people. Yeah, you know, sort of maverick, the charlatans. You know, it's it's not all plain sailing. It's not all brilliant people, but there is a there's a, a certain type of person with a certain type of appetite for risk yeah. is up for something that's never been done before or something that's completely new. I was talking to a friend of mine called um, Alfred Malmos, who was uh, the ex-CMO of Google Alpha in New York about this the other day, which was really interesting. So, and I think those people are, that, that, that tiny percentage of people who are wired like that exist everywhere in the world. You know, there are people who are born entrepreneurs, born sort of creative innovators, um, everywhere in the world, everywhere you look, you find those sorts of skill sets, but usually in, you know, fairly small numbers. They're the people that go against the grain in every society. And I think when something's exploding really quickly and it's already innately global, like the internet was at the beginning, when, it was, when we still called it the World Wide Web, um, it was just... Your the fact that you'd spotted it was a fraternity. It was, you know, if if you'd already spotted it, it didn't matter where you were in the world, you were part of that crew. Yeah. And so there was an innate sense of belonging across the, you know, which completely crossed cultural, um, you know, regional gender boundaries. They just if you, if you if if you're something you were interested in, everybody else that was interested in it was immediately open to you as an yeah. individual. Yeah. Um, and because there just weren't that many people doing it, you know, and so the supply and demand thing was quite interesting as well. So you just it, at the time borders were really porous because you could so few people had the skills, it was really easy to get a visa. So you could people could move around following the work and the money. Yeah. Um, so it's it almost like a perfect storm of opportunity for a certain type of pe a person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is really interesting, and I think that changes because those people leave once it becomes established. This is what I was talking to Alfred about. So Alfred was saying, you know, there's that first ten people in yeah. are all like that, and they look around. They recognise each other, you know, the characteristics that make them them and other people, and they're in it to see if it can be done. Yeah, they're not really in it for long term value necessarily. This is pre kind of you know you're going to be an internet billionaire. This was just look, we're reinventing businesses. So it's slightly messianic. Um, and then you know he was saying you get the first ten, which is basically just proof of concept. You get to proof of concept, you hire another thirty people. And then it's, can we get to minimal viable products? Can we get to something that we can sell? Then you get to something you can sell and you add a few more people. Then you get to something that, wow, this is selling really well and it's starting to take off. Yeah. And he said, then the profile completely changes of the people that join. Yeah. And they are driven by a totally different set of values and principles to the, to the people that initially started in that first 10-person team. And they are substantially different. And he said, at that point, the first 10 start to drift away and find something else to do. So I, th I think it's to do that. I think it's with that, that sort of the, the appetite for risk, the, sorry, that was my, uh, did you hear that? Uh, so an appetite for risk, a desire to do something for the first time, 
an experiment, try something out. Yeah. Just because it, you know, because it can, it, see if it can be done rather than to make gazillions of dollars. And it brings a um, diverse culture together, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So making me think, so when you thought that, that's so true because that was the mentality back then. That was the mentality at Amazon. That was the mentality at um, Perform, which is now the zone. Um, and it brings me back even further. So <laughs> when you go back into the rave culture, <laughs> so the rave culture sort of kicked off near where I lived and there was a lot yeah. of people and the club culture kicked off and it was that same type of mentality of people coming together. And it's Mavericks again, isn't it? It's, yeah, a home, yeah. it's a home for people that don't feel like they've got a home anywhere else. I yeah. mean, I think it's definitely that. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? And it's, yeah, it is. And it's trying to, I mean, you do a lot of, stuff around culture and getting the right sort of building the right culture within agencies and companies what's what do you do you think we're lacking that process amongst companies at the moment i think it's really difficult to answer because i think it's different in every organization i think i think there's a sudden well it's not sudden there's been a gradual awakening yeah over the last decade to the value in economic terms of a more diverse workforce. And I, I think, you know, that ultimately is the real driver of change, you know, the capitalist system um, that's driven by profit and loss. The, 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 the driver for real change is usually profit, you know, the opportunity to make more money. Yeah. And I think it's beginning to be proven that having a group of people that don't all look the same, think the same, you know, we, we're all aware of the danger of groupthink. And again, you know, it's it's part of that, you know, part of the context for that is the, the technology, the growth of technology businesses that we've been involved with. So, you know, if you're in a business which is homogenous, where everybody looks and thinks the same, and you you all have the same echo chamber conversation about your your sector and your company and your product and your customer, you are ripe for disruption. Yeah. And and the, the the issue being that you don't notice the disruption until it's too late. Yeah. That, and we've seen that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a, a very interesting conversation a couple of years ago with a friend of mine who had joined a management consultancy who should remain nameless. And I was sat in reception um, waiting to go and see her. And just, you know, people from every corner of the globe walked past me while I was sat there. Uh, and it was really impressive. And I sat, I sort of went to see her and I said, uh, you know, it's just been sat in your reception for 25 minutes, 30 minutes waiting for this meeting to start. And you've clearly nailed a burst. She, she burst out laughing. <laughs> said, oh, did you get that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so she burst out laughing and said, there's no diversity of thought here at all. <laughs> all of those people went to the same universities, they did the same courses, they wear the same clothes, they eat the same food. So although they appear to be a really diverse workforce, yeah. because they're from all over the world, it's the same middle class elite in every country yeah. who bring no diversity of thought to this organization, organization at all. It's interesting, it's what you said earlier about people from different classes, different backgrounds. You know, I, we, we worked a lot, both of us, in advertising agencies. And I think one of the things that made advertising agencies such a phenomenal disruptive force in the 70s and the 80s in yeah. particular 
was that it was one of the few businesses where working class kids who'd gone to art school or working class kids who'd started in the post room but were really entrepreneurial could make it to the top of a business with kids that had gone to the top public schools in the UK and, and they were equals yeah, it was right amazing, up the border. Yeah. and again it, they then began to launch their own businesses in the 80s together yeah um you know you get you get a kind of English or classics graduate from Oxford or Cambridge with a you know a, a, someone from an art school in Bradford and the, these two people would never have met each other ordinarily yeah but they'd come to London and they'd got a job in an advertising agency, a creative agency, and all of a sudden they were bouncing ideas off each other in these art and copy teams. Yeah. And of course, the the the, the variety of their backgrounds added to the richness of the out the outcomes. I think. You know, I genuinely think that they were the sort of prototype for diversity in a socio-economic sense, in particular. I mean, it's not there's no gender or. Uh, um, racial diversity there but there was at least a sort of diversity in, t- in, in terms of a sort of the british class system yeah definitely i mean it was um it was colin colin um cdp wasn't it colin dickerson and pierce that kicked it all off and it was amazing yeah. actually because you can actually say that those working class people are sir john hegarty are absolutely charles oh they Sarchi. become establishment that's yeah. what's so great yeah you know. yeah charles Sarchi and yeah, <laughs> I mean, and they, they were bought vineyards and become art collectors, <laughs> yeah. which is just unheard of. You know, if you're a working class boy from you know, work, just and Ridley Scott, I mean, Ridley Scott's yeah. a Geordie, and he was like, yeah. everyone in film and the world knows who Ridley Scott is, or what, yeah. And, and the, the so the the you know, the, the springboard for that was those early, you know, those advertising companies, yeah, I said, the sub- subgroups that are acknowledged and represented in wider society but not necessarily in our organizations yeah for sure to everybody's detriment i think yeah I, it's a shame isn't it i mean when i launched that first diversity film back in what 2010-11 no one was talking about diversity and i remember i went to one agency um and they wanted help with the making their agency more diverse and these were yeah. this was one of the best agencies out there and um, I was like, the question was, like, so where do you recruit from? And they were like, well, we recruit from a top university. So we go to Newcastle, we go to Cambridge, we go to Oxford. It's like, well, you're not going to be diverse. Are you? <laughs> so this is the problem. And this is a, you know, a much longer term problem that we see time and time again, is that the playing field yeah. is so un- uneven, so unlevel um, from the get-go that really by the time you know, kids are sort of 14, 15, 16, yeah. their, their choices are set, their lack of opportunity is set. And again, that's something you see a lot in the States. It's, it's, yeah, yeah I, I, th- I think that's the problem. I think if you want to genuinely build a diverse workforce that's truly representative, it's incredibly hard. And you can't start when people are 21. You've got to start much 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 earlier in the education process and really partner with with schools and colleges and communities themselves i think to help build the aspiration and help build the pathways to your organization yeah 
and that's I think that's a massive opportunity because I mean it's like um when we set up but the problem is it's expensive yeah. and it requires a long-term investment yeah you, you don't you don't see if you're talking to kids at 10 11 12 about stuff they could do yeah that for whatever reason you know people in their social group don't believe is for them yeah it could be 10 years before you see a return on that investment yeah um so i, I think it you know it, it is complex and you know, we tried it. We tried it with, uh, there was a East London digital agency initiative working with um, Hackney Council to get into schools, uh, uh, to sort of reach 16-year-olds and start to help them understand a route into the creative services industry around that part of East London. Yeah. How did that go? And awful. Yeah. You know, it, it was... It was very, very difficult to create internships that had any kind of value uh, going forward for those kids. And in actual fact, the reality was, depending on their experience, it could have you know, completely switched them off because the organisations just weren't prepared. So everybody loved it because it was a great idea, yeah. but they just weren't prepared to deliver the sort of foundation those those kids would need to get on. And I think. You know, it's because they're woefully underprepared to deliver the sort of foundation that the average 20-year-old, massively overprivileged, upper-middle-class white kid from Oxbridge needs to get on in that environment as well. They're just not very good at nurturing junior talent. But that's exacerbated where there is a gulf in, in expectation. That, that you know doesn't exist yeah and if it's see... really interesting you know we were looking at the time you know people joining advertising agencies tended to be people who had relatives that worked in them that understood what they were you know that, yeah. that yeah <laughs> privileged yeah so it was sort of nepotism you know at an industrial scale yeah. um and i think again if you know 72 and Sunny were really interesting. They were fantastic, sort of six, seven years ago, maybe a bit more, when they first launched in Amsterdam. It, um, that senior team were from all over the world. Yeah. And they were one of the first businesses to come to us and say, right, we will not hire this type of person. We will positively discriminate in the hiring process even if that takes us longer, because it's more important to us to get a diverse workforce than it is to hire somebody quickly. Yeah, that's right. And I think the last count, the last time I spoke to them about it, they had 36 different nationalities in one agency, which was just amazing. Yeah. And they, you know, they actively tracked the impact of that. Yeah. And it allowed them to work with a range of clients really effectively all over the world. That they otherwise wouldn't have been able to work with but you know, they, it, it took effort it was conscious it was hard you know it was a, i think it was quite tough at times to to to, to sort of pull it off but they were resolute Indeed. because they felt it gave them the credibility to pitch for global business and i presume they won all that global business and yeah, totally. I mean, they were an incredibly successful agency. I mean, they still are, but yeah. that, that team sort of drifted away. Uh, now, that founding team that were behind it, yeah. 
but they were you know they were absolutely right we passionately believe this is the right thing to do this is cultural for us as well as about the outcome but we see the link commercially between us doing this and our success going forward and they were absolutely right you know they 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 made better work than anybody else in the world for about four or five years and you know the 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 agency when you walk around it was just such a vibrant place. Pl place it was fascinating you know they celebrated everybody's national day yeah. and they all had to eat the national dish for lunch <laughs> so they were constantly learning about each other's cultures it was you know cross-cultural reference was incredibly important yeah but also they the other thing they were they were really conscious of was you know they were never allowed to monopolize one culture was never allowed to monopolize the the ideation process so if if something wasn't understood by everybody in the room it was instantly ditched which was why they were so good at global business so if a cultural reference that worked in you know the uk didn't work in brazil it wouldn't be used in the campaign yeah that's amazing and that made the work better not blander yeah 100 you know? that made them work harder to the, get to the you know the, the the human nub of an idea that worked for everybody, so it was universally brilliant, not universally bland. And I th I think that you know that that's where it's fabulous. It's that you know it's the opportunity for everybody to get better, not for everybody to get sort of more vanilla. Yeah, hundred percent. And it it's those in the culture. It's those little nuances. That makes so much difference totally which are totally missed as well yeah you know and we've seen that you know, with you know, appalling regularity as businesses without that kind of diverse cultural background and their teams try and make work that's more culturally inclusive you know as often as not it's a fail as it is a win and, and quite embarrassingly so often yeah, i can't remember which supermarket it was with the the muslim family carving the christmas turkey and you know twitter was absolutely social media was alive with people saying that's fantastic i didn't know they were doing halal turkey and then the supermarket had to come back and say yeah we're not okay. and and you know they it's that shit you, you just can't do that you, yeah. you know you, you and if they had people on their team from that background they'd have gently pointed that out at the point at which that was going to you know <laughs> into production it's so, I mean, it's so, I mean I see that every day and I hear those stories all the time Isn't yeah IPA released a report recently where um, the BAME numbers are down within agencies in the UK yeah, um, that surprised me. Yeah, and it's, just, it's horrific, isn't it? After all, after all what happens and stuff. But yeah, have you got any good examples for everyone? What's worked well? What hasn't? I've got I've got no good examples. <laughs> apart, you know, apart from seventy two and sunny, because I think that that's the that's the bigger risk. So, you know, I think if you don't innately understand and believe that. That pursuing a, a a more inclusive and diverse workforce because i think inclusive inclusivity is really important i think it's no good building a diverse workforce if your culture isn't inclusive if your culture doesn't allow people with specific you know physical issues for instance to, to come to work to, to be involved i mean that's what's been so fantastic about you know everybody working from home um actually opens up the world of work yeah to far more people that are current that would currently struggle to get to a central london office 
um, you know, either because they've got you know, they're, they're carers or they, they've got kids or they can't travel, you know, for whatever reason. Um, actually, this, you know, working remotely could be something that, that unlocks inclusivity and diversity at scale for all sorts of organisations. Um, but I think you've got to know why. I think, you know, that there's, there's got to be, you've got to be very clear about the purpose as to why you're doing it. Because in, in any organisation, you know, the, the, a lack of clarity um, just leads to apathy. You know, if, if, if you haven't explained to the existing workforce why this is important, why they have to get behind it, then they won't, you know, the, the, they won't make the, the, the organisation open to and welcoming of different people. Um, and so that's critical, just having a clear sense of why you're doing it. Um, I think um, that, so that's number one. Number two is you, if, you, if you're going to do it, you've got to go all in. You know, I, I, I don't believe um, even, I'm, I, I'm, so I've changed, I've changed my thinking. I, about two years ago, three years ago, when we first started experimenting with this in the recruitment context, I felt that sort of 50 50. Um, a shortlist were, were probably the way forward. It felt fair to me. And then we tried that for a bit. And of course, it didn't really change the outcome. And so we started to experiment with um, positive discrimination um, in, a, in a kind of shortlist context. So if you want to hire more women, we will only go and, and we will only talk to women candidates. Mm. You know, otherwise, you know, if we talk to... 50% of candidates are men and 50% of women. So we feel like there's a balance. The likelihood is you'll probably still hire the man. You know, that's what we were finding. So for businesses that say to us, no, no, it's really important. We really want to change the gender balance at the top of the organisation. Our response to that is, well, let's let's only go out and talk to women of, you know, doing the job that you, you want to hire for. Otherwise... You know, you run the risk of not changing anything. So I think you know you've got to, you've got to consciously want to change. You've got to work hard. You've got to you know know why. You've got to then create a process which is likely to end up with um, the change that you want to see. It's no good designing a process that may or may not deliver the change you want to see. I think then you have got to you've got to go the hard yards to to make that happen, and yeah. that. That, this, that requires a lot more handholding. Yeah. You know, it requires, you know, filling in, identifying and helping bridge the, the knowledge and skills gaps that those individuals will have, you know, innately have picked up because they haven't had the same opportunities. And so, you know, if, you, if you're not consciously doing that, yeah. you're never going to change. Or you just hire people from different, groups but all with the same socioeconomic background yeah <laughs> which i i don't necessarily think help diversity you know that back to the management consultancy yeah. conversation we had yeah don't, 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 you know don't. if you want to be more reflective of society in general you have to be inclusive yeah and i think a lot of organizations are yeah 100%. capability is absolutely critical yeah massively yeah yes yeah, so really you look at the armed forces you look at the you know it's an elite um units within the armed forces which i'm quite interested in um, but also, kind of other 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 industries where you see this, um, you, you 
you could start from very low base. You know, you, you know, people from very, very deprived backgrounds, from you know, lots of different communities, um, can excel in that context because it's the same for everybody. Everybody, no matter where you are, starts at the same, same in the same place. They often start very young. They start at sixteen, so they they are sort of shaped, I suppose. It's that, isn't it? It's that argument about you know how much business gets involved in education and whether we start to you know, get involved much earlier on and intervene much earlier on, so we begin to create a future workforce which is fit for purpose. And I think you know in doing that you can definitely, definitely start to influence the diversity of your team as well as the capability of your team. You know, we need somehow, we need to get into both the education environment, but also into the community environment much earlier on. Because again, it's working with the parents. It's saying, look, your kids can do this, this and this. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, so it's working with family groups. It's working with um, different ethnic groups. It's working in communities and in schools to level the playing field. So people are much, they have much more aspiration for themselves much earlier on. 100%. And that, I think on that note, that's a great note to finish on. Um, so I keep on telling you this, but congregations always hidings like the Secret Service. <laughs> <laughs> but for people out there, how can they reach congregation and yourself? Uh, congregation.io um just yeah yeah come and find us on the website um it's matt at congregation.io is my email um yeah we're always keen to chat to anybody that's interested in this sort of stuff um yeah we're ter terribly stealth it's awful. <laughs> thank you so much i'm trying to change it this year yeah i think i think you need to so thank you so yeah. much for your time um as always, I mean, we could go on for hours. There's lots oh, of it's my absolute pleasure. I, yeah. Yeah, thank you for asking. It's been a real pleasure to talk. I'm, I'm, it's something I feel very strongly about. Yeah, definitely. And it's so, a pleasure to talk to you about it. So for people listening, definitely reach out to Matt. He is one of the leading experts in the UK on this, or globally, to be honest. Um, thank you so much. Take care. My pleasure. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.